Glory to God. How many know Jesus is the healer? Amen. Praise God. He can bring peace like no other. I just love the Lord. Amen. I mean, he can bring peace in the midst of the storm. Like We think peace can't come until the storm stops. But you can actually have peace while the storm is raging. You see, if you are dependent on the storm stopping before you can have peace, then God is not bigger than the storm you're facing. In other words, God is dependent upon the storm. Huh? If, if you can't get peace, if there is no peace that God can give you until the storm stops, then your God is dependent upon the storm. <laughs> I mean, think about it. See, some things you would realize were wrong if you just thought about it. Yes. Amen. Because you know that there ain't no storm that dictates or determines what God can do. Amen. Amen. But see, here's the thing is, we think the storm that we're facing is what our problem is, when really it's the storm that's raging on the inside of us that we're facing. And what God wants us to learn is that it's really not this storm out here that's troubling you, it's the one on the inside of you that's troubling you. And maybe, just maybe, the storm has, has stuck around longer than you thought it should. Maybe the, the reason it's still there is because God's waiting for you to learn how to steal the one on the inside of your heart. Amen? And He wants to teach you something, and He wants to teach you more than just how to scream and call out for help. <laughs> Amen. I mean, like Peter, hey, listen, I mean, if you're there and you're beginning to sink like Peter, you know, there in the book of Matthew and you're about to go under, you just got feel like you just got one nostril stuck up above the water. How many of you ever been in a situation in your life? You feel like you just got one nostril up there. You just <laughs> it'd be bad news if your nose was stuffed up. Well, I mean, at that moment. Amen. But he had to have more than just his nostril. He knew it was getting to that point because he was able to cry out, Lord, save me. I mean, but man, just as quick as you can get it out, you cry out, Lord, save me, and he'll save you. Amen. Amen? But I'm telling you what, you don't, you, don't have to, um, you don't have to just depend on the Lord just coming and rescuing you, rescuing you all the time. In every situation, you can learn how to walk on top of the storm. Yes. Amen. Hey, the storm didn't start after Peter got on the water. The same storm that, that caused him to fear and to sink was the same storm. He said, I'm going to step out on this. It was the same storm. Yeah. It didn't start after he got out on the water. I mean, he was at peace. He said, I don't know about you guys, but I'm about to go out there to Jesus. Yeah. And he stuck his size, whatever they were, off over the edge of that boat and went to walk into Jesus. I mean, you know, the natural mind says, you know, you can't walk on water in a storm as if you could walk on water any better if it was just smooth as glass. But it says he saw the storm and the winds and the waves raging. And the natural mind kicked in and said, I can't walk on water in a storm. You can't walk on water when there ain't a storm. That doesn't change anything with God. Amen. But I'm telling you what, you don't have to wait till the storm's over to get your peace. Because here's what God's trying to do. God is wanting you to find inner peace. And then he'll still, if he can still get you to learn how to steal the inner storm, then he will steal the outward one. 
Amen. Now, why does God do that? Is he just being mean? No, it's because he wants us to be more than just babies that know how to scream when they're in trouble. And if you're a baby, scream. Babies are supposed to scream, but you're not supposed to stay a baby. <laughs> Amen. No condemnation to any babies. Amen. Babies, that's all they got is a scream. Amen. But if you've been serving the Lord for, for, for three, four years, you ought to be learning how to walk by faith. Amen. How to find inner peace and not be dependent on your circumstances before you think you can have peace. Amen. And so if God just rescues us like he rescued Peter, did you notice after Peter and Jesus got back on, in the boat, it's, you would think Jesus would say, man, that was so awesome. After all, you did better than anyone else. They didn't even get out of the boat. Peter, I commend you. I mean, at least you got out there. And man, you like with our children, if they're just like taking three steps, we put it on Facebook. <laughs> and you're looking at that video and you're like, that baby ain't walking. That baby's falling forward. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus did. Here's the thing is, is if Jesus thought Peter was a baby, he would have congratulated him. But he knew that Peter, Peter, you've been walking with me far too long to be crying about storms. Oh, you've seen the dead raised. Come on. You've seen me cleanse lepers. You've seen me multiply a few fish and loaves and feed 5,000 families with 12 baskets left over. And we only started with one basket. And you're afraid of a storm? Didn't I say, let us pass to the other side? And am I not the way, the truth, and the life? See, he was not about to go back through all the rudimentary teachings. No, this is rebuking time. <laughs> it said he rebuked them. And he said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Jesus never says, where is your faith to someone who should not have had it? Otherwise, it would minister condemnation. Jesus doesn't say, where's your faith to someone who has never had the, the opportunity to gain faith? The only time Jesus ever said to people, where is your faith? is because they should have had it and he wasn't seeing it. But he never said, where's your faith to someone who, whose faith he couldn't see that never could have had it to start with. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And the disciples have been walking with Jesus for three and a half years, uh, you know, and they ought to have had that much faith at least. Amen. So is our peace dependent upon um, there being a storm or not being a storm in our life? No. Because here's what God wants to do, is if all we do is live our life being rescued out of each and every dilemma, each and every crisis, each and every trouble, if God just comes down and rescues us and catches us like he caught Peter, you know, we cry out, Lord, save me, you know, and listen, if you need him saving, I mean, you know, you, you, you can live for another day, just cry out to him, don't be prideful and say, well, I'm not going to be a baby. No, you might be a dead baby. <laughs> You know, I mean, humble thyself and say, Lord, save me. But I'm just saying purpose in your heart to, to grow to another level. Amen. And so, I mean, if all he did was rescue us, if all he did was rescue us, then we're no different outside the storm than we were before the storm came. We're still the same person. As fragile as we were after the storm as we were before the storm. 
You know, the reason why God even allows storms and troubles to come into our lives is so that we can discover what God's able to do in us through the storm. And if we don't ever discover anything, meaning we don't ever release our faith, we don't ever go to the scriptures, we don't ever praise and thank God for his goodness, his greatness, his deliverance, and uh, reflecting on the promises of scripture, we're not building up ourselves, uh, you know, on our faith, you know, we're just going to come out the same way. We're not going to have learned anything, we're not going to have gleaned anything. But did you know every battle you go through, and I'm not talking about the battles that you just kind of, Uh, uh, struggled through and then just kind of fell out on the other side of it. (laughs) You know, just just fell out the other side. You know, that's not someone who's learned anything. But someone who has applied the Word of God to their life, maintained the spirit of faith, you know, purposely uh, targeting doubt and unbelief in their own mind and in their own heart and refusing to give up, refusing to cave in, refusing to quit, purposing to praise and rejoice in spite of the circumstances, that kind of person is going to be thrust through that storm. Amen. And that same storm will never be able to threaten their faith again. Well, because they've grown. Amen. Glory to God. And so God has maybe allowed the storm to stick around a little bit longer because he's wanting us to discover things about us that he has placed on the inside of us that we would never discover if he just rescued us and delivered us on the spot every single time. And so that's what God's wanting to do with us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter one. And I'm going to read through the 23rd verse. This is a. Paul's prayer to the church at Ephesus. Um, And also we have a prayer of his to the church at Ephesus in in, in, uh, chapter 3. But this morning we're going to look primarily at the prayer in chapter 1. Now these prayers are for every believer. These prayers are for the church. And so um, we're on a a series. This is a part 5 on the authority of the believer. Say the authority of the believer. Do you know you have authority? Amen. You're not just hoping and wishing and and wondering what's going to happen and, you know, dependent on circumstances like a leaf in the wind. No, you're not. You are created in the image and the likeness of God. And God has given you dominion over the earth. Amen. The beast of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Amen. He's given you dominion. Amen. Isn't that good? He's even given you dominion over creeps. Amen. Everything you need dominion over, you've got it. Amen. Now, um, he says this. This is an inspired prayer because all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, um, you can pray these prayers for others the way Paul is praying it for the church at Ephesus. But you can also pray these prayers for yourself. And I encourage you to pray these prayers for yourself. Every morning, pray these prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 every morning for yourself. Amen. Where it says you put me. Amen. And uh, personalize um, these prayers to fit 
um, you and your situation, and after you've prayed them over yourself, you know, the Holy Spirit will lay people on your heart, family members, friends, um, co-workers that need your prayers, that need to uh, be strengthened in God and mature in, in God and, and see more of who they are in Christ. These prayers are perfect for that, particularly this prayer in chapter 1. After you pray them for yourself, you can pray them for others. And so uh, he says, my prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, if you're praying it for you, you say, may give unto me, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So this third thing that Paul's praying here is that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power directed towards us. And then he clarifies what this power is. And he says, the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead with. That's the kind of power Paul's praying that we would understand. Amen. Amen. And you know, how how many would agree with me? A lot of power was released during the creation week. Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let there be light, and God created the planets, and he created the galaxies, and the stars, and the moon, and, and, the, and the oxygen, and the oceans, and the animals, the plant life. I mean, there was a lot of power released. And you and I could really have a great deal of knowledge, um, just simply understanding, I mean, the power that was released at creation. But this is not the power that Paul is praying that the church would would receive the knowledge of it, it, he wasn't praying that they would receive the knowledge of the power that created the worlds as we know it that would have been pretty awesome to have knowledge of that <laughs> amen i mean i really don't know what you'd do with that knowledge and god, unless god wanted you to go create your own galaxy or something you know i don't see that in the scriptures you know but what he does say is that you would know the power that raised Christ from the dead. Amen. And did you know there was more power released at the resurrection of Jesus than was released during creation week? It took more power to raise Jesus from the dead than it took to create the worlds. If it didn't take that much, he wouldn't have used that much. Amen. And so what we see here is that so much power was released, you're never going to understand it naturally. It's only going to come to you by revelation. It's only going to come to you by revelation, the power that was released. And listen, I mean, you don't have to know all about the power that was released that raised Christ from the dead. You only need to know the part that's going to help you in the situation you're facing in your life. Namely, the book of Romans tells us that, that, the, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you Amen. and quickens your mortal body. So one thing you could learn about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it's healing power. Amen. There's a quickening power. If it can bring life to Jesus who was dead for three days, just think of what it could do for your body that's been kind of feeling achy for three days. 
I mean, you're still living. If, if, my, 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 if, if the power of the Holy Ghost could raise Jesus from the dead, who's been dead, say dead, three days. He wasn't sick, he was dead. And if the Holy Ghost can quicken Jesus from death to life, man, he can quicken you from your disease to wholeness. Praise God. That's not much for God. Now, why was so much power released when God raised Jesus from the dead? You know, why was so much power released? Because there was so much resistance to the resurrection. There was so much uh, resistance to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of hell was raged against Jesus and the the spirit of Jesus there in the confines of, of hell. Amen. Where he suffered the pains of death. Amen. For your sins and for my sins. Amen. Satan knew he could not allow the resurrection of Jesus to take place because that would undo everything that he had planned uh, against God's creation. Amen. Mankind. Amen. And so Colossians tells us that Jesus having spoiled principalities and powers. Amen. One translation says he despoiled them or threw off from himself. (laughs) <laughs> Come on. Ooh, I'm telling you what, because when he was made sin, there wasn't no throwing off power on him. He became like us. That's why he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had forsaken him so that he would never forsake us. Amen. Jesus paid the price for our disobedience, which warranted rejection, which warranted forsakenness. Jesus bore the penalty of our wrongdoing. So God the Father rejected Jesus so that he would be able to accept us. Amen. But it wasn't, you know, uh, forever. I mean, Jesus was going to be raised from the dead after three days. He bore the price. God the Father looked down on him and saw that the demands of justice were met. Amen. Because God is a just God and, and, and the price of sin must be paid. Amen. Praise God Jesus paid it. Aren't you glad he paid it? Amen. And so, man, I'm telling you what, all of hell knew that if Jesus was raised from the dead, then his gig was up. And so all the powers of hell were were arrayed, arrayed against him to prevent that from happening. And such power was released because there was such resistance to the resurrection. Amen. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it i mean i'm talking when you're talking about the gates of a kingdom that's their everything that's the strength of that kingdom you ain't got no gates you don't have any strength and so it's the same way in the spirit amen jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it amen that means that all of hell and all of its strength all of its power cannot stop the power of god Glory to you, Lord. And, you know, we often think about us bombarding those gates as if we were trying to break into there. Why would you want to break into hell? No, it's talking about breaking out of there. (laughs) I'm saying God wants to break us out of hell. How many know when you cried out, Lord, save me. I receive you as my Lord. I receive you as my God. You right then became a son of God. You became a daughter of God. 
You were delivered from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Amen. Amen. The gates of hell could not and did not prevail against you that day. Wherever you were at, the gates of hell at that moment in that time could not and did not prevail against you. You were delivered out of. Say out of. See, the gates of hell not prevailing against you is talking about not being able to keep you confined within the confinements of hell. Thank you, Lord. And the the first people that were born again, we don't often think about it, but the first people that were born again were not people on the earth. It was people that was in Abraham's bosom, which was a compartment of hell. Amen. Called paradise or Abraham's bosom where there's, you know, um, um, it's pleasant there as opposed to torments uh, across the great gulf. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? The Bible says that when God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus delivered those who were in captivity. And it says that he then led them up into heaven. Amen. Glory to God. That's the reason why the Bible says that is resurrection. It said it wasn't just him that came up out of the grave. Woo! There was such power released. It was, it was more than enough that the graves uh, and the tombs around him, people began to bust up and come up out of them graves. Could you imagine Grandpa coming and knocking on the door? <laughs> and I suppose they just went on living until they died naturally again. Certainly healed of whatever it was that caused them to die. My, my, my. That's power, y'all. That is such power. But man, I I really, I mean, because I know that, but when you, sometimes these things come to you like they're just brand new. Amen. I see resurrection power. Amen. The more I think about it, the more I pray these prayers, the more I see it. Amen. I don't have to labor and toil to get a revelation, man. I just kind of look at a verse. Woo! The Holy Spirit will open up your eyes to things that you've never seen before. Glory to God. And so um, Jesus led captivity captive. That means that he rescued all of those righteous saints under the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses, Noah, David, uh, you know, um, Hannah, uh, all the Old Testament men and women of God. They were not born again. Did you know that? All they had was an old, old covenant that could only help them in the temporal life. But God preserved a place um, for them of, of peace called Abraham's bosom in another compartment of hell. Jesus talks about it in Luke's gospel. But in another compartment of hell um, where there's peace, amen, uh, separate from the torments of those wicked who have died and went to hell. So all God could do was just kind of give them temporary residence until the Savior came. Because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Amen. Amen. But the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. How many know the Old Testament saints, they needed salvation just like you and I need salvation today. And they did not get that salvation with the sacrifices under the Old Testament. They had to wait for the same Savior to come that you and I have received. You see, they look forward to the Savior's coming. We look back to His coming. They put their faith forward in the the Messiah to come. We put our faith back in the Messiah, the the Christ who came. Amen? Amen. 
And, and, and we cling to that. And so Jesus, woo, the Bible says too, he preached to the prisoners in prison. Now we know he preached on earth three and a half years. He had a ministry of preaching and teaching the word of God. But it said, that, that ain't talking about his earthly ministry. It said he preached down there in hell. Amen. Glory to God. Now he wasn't preaching to those who died in their wickedness, in their rebellion. He was preaching to those who were looking for him. Amen. He was preaching to those that were looking for him because remember the, the, the rich man said, send Lazarus to tell my brothers. It's, it's funny how evangelistic a person becomes when they're in torments in hell. <laughs> There's no atheist there. I'll tell you that right now. And there was this rich uh, man fared sumptuously all the days of his life, never gave a dime to nobody, just was all about himself. And now all of a sudden he's evangelistic. He wants, he wants Abraham to send um, people to go and witness to his brothers. And what did Abraham say? He said, he said if they do not believe Moses, neither would they believe it, though someone was raised from the dead. So the Old Testament saints... Their faith in God was, was uh, uh, equated for salvation until the Savior could come and bring the actualization of that salvation in their lives. And so nobody saved. And if Jesus didn't come, all of them would have had to end up eventually in torments. Abraham, Moses, David, come on, all of them without a Savior. Jesus delivered those saints in the Old Testament out of that compartment of hell. Amen. That, that place referred to as paradise. Um, remember the, the, the thief that died on the cross um, next to Jesus who, who, who repented of his sins. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now he was referring to Abraham's bosom. But, you know, he was probably just the last few men to have ever entered into Abraham's bosom. And the shortest stay. <laughs> Amen. Because he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise because today I'm going to be there and today I'm going to preach that Jesus has come, that I am he. Behold, I am he. The Messiah is here. Amen. Preaching deliverance to the captives. And so a lot of times my point is, is that is that we think of the first people being saved being on the earth. But no, the first people that were saved, that were born again, made new creations in Christ Jesus, were in that compartment of hell known as Abraham's bosom. When Jesus, see, they knew the Messiah was coming. They believed uh, uh, that he was their soon coming king. But it had not happened yet, and it had not yet been preached. And Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Amen. So what did they have to hear? They had to hear that the Messiah you've been waiting on for thousands of years has come. Jesus went down there and he went down there and he preached that same Luke 4, 18 and 19 message. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The first time he preached it to someone who could actually receive from it the way he intended in its fullness which is eternal salvation 
The life of God, amen? Now it could heal broken bodies and it could, it could restore people's finances and, you know, bring peace to a certain extent, you know. And man, we need all that just as much today as they needed it then. So we're not taken away from that, amen? He, he's not a God of this or that. He's a God of this and that, amen? Some people say, well, salvation is the most important thing. Yes. Is, is there somebody who said it wasn't the most important thing? Amen. I mean, I believe steak is the most important thing, but I like potatoes too. <laughs> it's not steak or potatoes. It, it's steak and potatoes. <laughs> and corn on the cob. Man, I could go with that, boy. I'm going to saltgrass today. <laughs> I got a vision now. Amen. No, I, I, don't, I haven't consulted my wife about that yet, so I really, I really don't know. <laughs> but praise the Lord. So remember, you know, there in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've often thought of busting into hell. Amen. But really what Jesus had in mind was busting out of hell. In the church, man, the church, we think of the church starting in the book of Acts. Okay, that was the physical earthly manifestation of the church. But the spiritual manifestation of the church, it originated right in hell. In other words, man, ooh, come on. I mean, we think if we're going to have a successful church, we've got to get as far away from hell as possible to have it. Jesus said, I'm going to show you how powerful my church is. I'm going to build it within your borders. And then we're all coming out. And your gates can't stop us. Your gates can't keep us in. Glory to God. Amen. And so there was a prophetic type of these gates of hell. In the Old Testament, in the life of one of the judges named Samson. Have you ever read about Samson? Amen. It'd do you good, not just for your kids, but for you too. It'd do you good to go back and read these Old Testament uh, men and women of God. Amen. Read about them. Glean from them. Glory to God. Stir your faith up about them. But the Bible says that Samson, man, he, he just went. The power of God came on him. And he just went and just ripped the gates of the Philistine city right out of its foundation and carried them off. I mean, he could have taken the city. When you take the gates, you have the city. He could have brought the Israeli armies behind him, ripped up the gate, and the Israeli's armies could have taken over that Philistine city right then with no problem. You have no gates, you have no security. But he didn't do all that. He just went by himself plucked the gates up out of their foundation and walked off with them and let them stay asleep. And they woke up in the next morning without a gate. In other words, he says, I did that just so you know I could have took your city, but I didn't. (laughs) He was a mess, boy. I tell you, when the anointing comes on you, it'll make you a mess. It'll make you a holy mess. You, you, you won't just be waiting on the enemy to pounce on you. You'll be looking for him. Amen. And so the prophetic type is under the Old Testament, Samson, under the power of God, went and, and, and ripped up the gates out of the Philistine cities, uh, ripped up the gates out of its foundation 
and walked off with them. And that was a type of the anointing that would be on Christ, that would be on, on the Messiah when he said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. No enemy's gates are strong enough to withstand the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Say he has set me free. Say I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Praise God.